Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at Alumni Hall. I am your host, Tyler, and today I have got yet another Scouting the Enemy episode for you, the second such episode this week. Curtis will be back with me on Friday. He's actually airborne right now as we speak, coming back from vacation, so he'll be back and situated in time to get that episode to you guys on Friday, where we will be previewing the start of fall camp by taking an in-depth look at all the major position battles to be played out over the course of the next month. So we'll have a lot of fun with that one. But today, you got me with another Scout of the Enemy episode. This time, I'm looking to the Plains to set my sights on the ever-entertaining, say what you want about them, but the ever-entertaining and ever-confounding Auburn Tigers. But first, I've got to make sure you guys are taking care of yourselves. It's August. You know that. We are now officially under a month from kickoff September 3rd in Atlanta against the Oregon Ducks. You still got some time, but let's call it what it is. Time is running out, guys, for you to gear up for the new college football season. If you are like me, and I know most of you listening out there are, you're like me, you're the diehards, but if you're like me, picking up your game day gear for the new season is a religious experience. It is a ritual that cannot be trifled with. And there is no better place on planet Earth to have that religious experience than Alumni Hall. Alumni Hall is legitimately, guys, I promise you this, they are the ultimate shopping destination for all you guys out there, all you Bulldog fans. I'm talking about the best shopping experience and everything that goes along with that. And they have the best selection, guys. Hands down, the best selection for you guys to find whatever it is that you want to show your Georgia pride. They've got Nike, Cutter and Buck, Johnny O, Columbia, Peter Millar, Champion, whatever it is that you want, whatever you're into. I know everybody's different. Trust me, they've got it. They also have their two for $38 t-shirt section where you can find some awesome tees. They have new designs in all the time, two for 38 bucks. Georgia students and faculty, I know there's some of you out there. I know we have some military veterans as well. You guys are included in this also. All you guys, Georgia students, faculty, military veterans, get 10% off in-store 
all the time, also online as well. And I'd be remiss if I did not mention the Hall Pass Rewards Program, which, guys, I'll be real with you, I rack up a ton of rewards points, but it's a it's a pretty simple process. For every $150 you spend, you get $10 in rewards cash. That can be applied towards any and all future purchases. What I probably love most about Alumni Hall personally, not probably, this is what I love most about Alumni Hall, is their collection of vintage gear. I'm a throwback logo kind of guy. The new Bulldog, it's growing on me. It's fine. I've come to peace with it. Like, I've made my peace with it, come to terms with it. It is what it is. But give me all the throwback logos, man. Give me the standing Bulldog. Give me the dog with the hat on. That's personally my favorite. And give me that block G all day long. Love the throwback stuff. And there is absolutely nowhere where you will find the quantity and quality of vintage Georgia gear. And I love that about Alumni Hall. So there's a ton of reasons to do your Georgia shopping at Alumni Hall. But the most important one right now, I guess I should have probably led with this, but they're offering a 15% off promo right now through the month of August, all the way to kickoff on September 3rd for all you guys exclusively for the listeners of the Glory UGA podcast. All you have to do is type in Glory UGA when you check out online or if you're shopping in person, just tell them that you listen to Glory UGA podcast and just say, hey, I want the 15% Glory UGA promo and they will hook you up. That helps you out. You save some money. That helps us out. It helps Alumni Hall out. It helps everybody. So support the people who support us, guys. That's one of the easiest things that you can do to support this podcast. Obviously, listening to us is the number one way to support the podcast. Following and interacting with us on social media, giving us those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. That's a huge help. All that stuff is awesome, too. Please, don't stop doing that. But supporting the people that support us, like Alumni Hall, is another massive way that you can help us keep this thing rolling on and on and on into the future, which is what we hope to do. So again, that's promo code GLORYUGA, no spaces, and you get 15% off all purchases in-store and online. But all right, guys, let's go ahead and move on to this Scouting the Enemy episode. Let's talk about the Auburn Tigers. I've got five burning questions to guide us through this in-depth preview, and let's start at the top here. Let's look at the big picture. Burning question number one for this Auburn Tigers football team Will the boysification of Auburn be enough to save head coach Brian Harson's job? I'm not going to recap all the things that went down with Brian Harson at the end of last season, heading into the early parts of the offseason. We all know what happened. If you don't, you can look that up. I don't want to waste too much time going over all that. But suffice it to say, the boosters went rogue and tried to get this guy out of town. Got to give Brian Harson some credit. He did not take it lying down. That dude fought back. Now, he stayed on vacation throughout the process where they were trying to get rid of him. But he fought back, didn't back down, stood his ground. And he is, for now, still the Auburn head football coach. But the reality is, dysfunction was the rule this offseason for Auburn, which that's nothing new, right? That's kind of how Auburn operates. It's a dysfunctional program. That's what it is. But the 2021 season was strange for Auburn. It started out pretty well, at least on the surface. Now, if you're watching closely enough, you saw some big issues simmering beneath the surface. Like if you watched them play Georgia State in week four, a game that I thought they were going to lose. They were down in the fourth quarter. If I remember correctly, they were down the entire first half, all the third quarter. I think they were down early in the fourth quarter as well. That was the game they made the change at quarterback, at least temporarily. They benched Bo Nix, brought in TJ Finley, and Finley, at least for one moment, for one half of football, played pretty well, well enough to bring them back and beat Georgia State at home. But man, I was I was in Nashville 
after the Georgia Vanderbilt game at a bar watching the game. And man, I was going hard for Georgia State to win that game. I thought they were going to, but give Auburn credit, they were able to find a way to win. And then the week of the Florida game, while we were down in Jacksonville that night, they played Ole Miss at home. Ole Miss was a better football team. Ole Miss was significantly better than Auburn last year. But if you watched any of that game, if you were conscious enough after the Florida game to catch that one, Matt Corral got hurt in that game. He tried to play through it, but he could barely move. And if you watched Ole Miss play it all last year, you know that Matt Corral's mobility was a big part of their offense. And they would not have beaten Tennessee on the road if it was not for Matt Corral's mobility and just taking off and finding ways to gut out and, and pick up yards with his legs. So he was hurt that game. They had their top three receivers out in that game. So Auburn was very fortunate. And hey, injuries happen, I get it, but that was a ton of injuries and very fortuitous for Auburn. So they won that game. But again, if you looked beneath the surface you're like man yeah I know they're six and two to start the season but like are they really a true six and two team I feel like there's some issues there and sure enough right after the Ole Miss game all those issues came rushing to the surface in fact that Ole Miss game October 30th was the last game that Auburn won in 2021 they closed the season on a five game losing streak and it was a five game losing streak that had a little bit of everything, you know, against AM, they were they were right there in the first half of that game in College Station. It was a 3-3 game and half, a very boring first half of that game. Then AM goes off to score 17 unanswered points in the second half. They lose that game. They were up 28-3 against Mississippi State at home. That was the Tennessee weekend. I was actually at a bar in Knoxville watching that game before I headed to, uh, to the Tennessee game. And uh, Auburn was out huge early in that game, really right before halftime, Mississippi State started to mount a little bit of a comeback, but it was still 28-10 at half. But Mississippi State outscored Auburn 33-6 in the second half of that game in route to a, pretty much a blowout victory for Mississippi State. They turned that one completely around. And then they were up 14-0 on South Carolina, blew that lead. And then Bama, you, you remember the Iron Bowl, right? It was a fairly, uh, very, very ugly game. But they had Bama on Bama's own three-yard line with a minute and 32 seconds to go. They were up 10-3 at home. They let Alabama drive 97 yards down the field to tie the game, send the game into overtime, which we know that Bama obviously ultimately ended up prevailing and finding a way to win. So they had a little bit of everything in that five-game losing streak. So as you might imagine, a five-game losing streak to end the season, that's not going to sit well with anybody, especially the boosters who feel like they do or should be running the program. There's always been that kind of power struggle between the boosters and the athletic administration there at Auburn. That's why chaos is pretty much the rule there. But this was an even more chaotic offseason. And that chaotic offseason obviously could be traced back to the way that 2021 season ended. And their boosters saw blood in the water. They saw a chance to get what they wanted, which was to get Harson out of there. And they saw a chance at the same time to cripple their athletic director, Alan Green. Now you might be asking, why would boosters want to cripple their own school's AD? Well, there's no love lost there, guys. You know, it goes back to when Alan Green first hired Brian Harson. Remember, they got rid of Malazan. The boosters got rid of Malazan, and they wanted to insert Kevin Steele as their chosen successor, take him from D.C. and make him the Auburn head coach. Alan Green, the AD, said, no, we're not going to do that. Brian Harson was his guy. That was his hire. So he went out on a limb. If this hire fails, Alan Green himself might be gone. So the boosters saw a chance to really like kill two birds with one stone. 
get rid of Brian Harson, get rid of Alan Green. Now we are fully in charge. We've kind of fully asserted our power. That was the thought process, and I thought it was going to work. Honestly, I didn't think Brian Harson stood a chance because I kind of know how Auburn operates, and the boosters there do have a ton of power, but as I said at the outset of the show, Harson, give him credit, man. He stood his ground, fought back, and for the time being, he is still standing right now as we speak. But even though he might still be standing, there aren't many people that were around him near one of the planes that are still standing. Mike Bobo, offense coordinator, gone. Derek Mason, defense coordinator, gone. He hired Austin Davis as the OC to replace Bobo, but he left after six weeks to take another job. So he ends up going with a guy named Eric Kasu, who he knows from Boise. And then Jeff Schmetting, also his former DC at Boise State, is now his defensive coordinator at Auburn. He tried to bring in some SEC guys because that was the knock on Harson, right? He's a West Coast guy, doesn't really have any sort of Southeastern ties. How's he going to be able to recruit against the Kirby Smarts and the Nick Sabans, the Jimbo Fishers of the world? How's he going to be able to stand up to those guys? And the answer is obviously he was never going to be able to, and they'll never be able to recruit like we do, like Alabama does. They're just not going to as long as Brian Harson's there, but he tried to bring those SEC guys really for recruiting purposes. But obviously, they did not mesh to say the least. There was a ton of dissension within the program, within the coaching staff. Those guys hated him. He seems to have hated them because they were challenging his authority and not submitting to his will. So yeah, those guys are gone, clean house. And now he's going full on in with the guys that he knows, his Boise guys from his glory days. Guys that he knows will defer to him and to his authority as the head coach of this football program. They're not going to be behind his back thinking they know better like some of these SEC guys. So he's going all in. He's going all in with boysifying Auburn. And we're going to see how it plays out. I'm not sold on this. I don't think anyone in the Auburn fan base is sold on it. They might be telling you that they're sold on it right now because they're trying to get their hopes up to kick off this season, hoping for a miracle. But I think those hopes will be in vain. I do not think it's going to happen. And as we go through the rest of this episode, I will go about explaining why I do not think it's going to happen for Auburn. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, we're back. Now, the biggest question I think Auburn has to answer this year, Brian Harson has a lot of questions he has to answer this year, a lot of them. But I think the biggest one has to be this. Does Auburn have a legitimate QB1 on its roster? 
Personally, I think the answer is no. I'll go ahead and spoil it for you. I think the answer is no. I could be wrong here. I'm always open to being wrong when you're in the preseason. You don't really know. But based off what I've seen from all the options, they have three options. We'll go through each one of them here in a second. From what I've seen from each of these guys, I think the answer is no. I've seen nothing from them at all whatsoever from any of them to suggest that they are a legitimate QB1 type guy, a top-level guy that's going to be able to go into hostile environments. Hell, even win these games against good teams at home. I haven't seen that from these guys. So who are we talking about? Well, first off, let's go with TJ Finley. As I mentioned earlier, he is the guy who came off the bench week four against Georgia State to save the day. And then there was a brief open quarterback competition for like a week or so. There was a lot of speculation following the Georgia State win. Is Bo Nix dethroned? Is he ever going to get his job back? Or is it just kind of like, a, hey, let's sit down, let's try something else, and let's see what happens? Obviously, we know Bo Nix got the job back the very next week, and he played fairly well. I mean, by Bo Nix standards, the rest of the way. He ends up getting hurt, and then TJ Finley ends up starting the last three games of the season, including the bowl game. Unfortunately for Auburn, TJ Finley was terrible. I mean, if they had a halfway functioning quarterback against Alabama, they would have won that game and probably won it by two scores. That's how ineffective he was for them. But if you look at TJ Finley and his career, he's a transfer from LSU. He started a couple games his freshman year to LSU, actually started a game against Auburn, got blown out in that game. Then he transferred, made his way to the Plains. But wherever he's been, LSU or Auburn, it hasn't been a good look to this point in his career. He's had moments where you're like, okay, yeah, he's decent, but he's never shown me that he can be that guy. Honestly, not even really flashed it all that much. Through two years, he's a career 55.9% passer. That is horrific. Averages 6.6 yards per attempt for his career through two seasons. 11 touchdowns to six interceptions. Last year, his quarterback rating was 122.9. He did not have enough pass attempts to qualify like in the actual rankings. But if you extrapolate that out over the course of the year, if he would have started every game and had a 122.9 QBR, that would have been bottom 10 in the FBS last year, guys. That's how bad he was. He's kind of mobile-ish. He's, I would not call him a dual threat at all. He does. They do not do any sort of design runs with him. He's mobile enough to escape the pocket, extend plays, do things like that, but he really just likes to sit in the pocket. He doesn't even really use his legs. In fact, his footwork is terrible in the pocket. He kind of just sits there and doesn't really move at all. He's highly erratic with his accuracy, makes a ton of very questionable decisions, puts the ball in harm's way. Sometimes it gets picked off. Sometimes he gets really lucky and it doesn't get picked off, but he puts the ball in harm's way. I just have a lot of questions about him. In fact, I just don't believe in the guy. He's given me no reason to believe in him, but he's got to be at the top of the list because he did start the last three games of last season, and he obviously has some experience with this program, with Brian Harson. So I guess I'd put him at the top of the list right now. Now, the guy a lot of Auburn fans actually believe will ultimately win this job through the course of the next month or so of fall camp is Texas A&M transfer Zach Calzada, the Calzone himself. And this is another guy who I saw absolutely nothing from last year to suggest to me that he is a legit QB1 type guy. I saw absolutely nothing from him to suggest that. Now, he does have the physical upside, the tools he's got in spades. He's clearly the most physically gifted of the quarterbacks on this roster. 6'4", 208, has a cannon for an arm, actually moves pretty well. Not a dual threat guy, kind of like Finley, not a dual threat guy, but he can he can tuck the ball and run and pick up some yards, pick up a first down with his legs if needed. But this dude was an absolute deer in the proverbial headlights last year. That guy had no clue what was going on. If you watch them play, his eyes were about 10 feet wide at all times on the field. That guy 
was freaking out. Like he was having like a mini panic attack out there at all times. And sure, it was his first legitimate playing time, and that factored into it. He did not win the job to open last season at Texas A&M. He actually lost about to Haynes King. Haynes King got hurt. I think it was the second game of the year against Colorado. Calzada came in and tried every way imaginable to lose that game. A&M had no business even remotely coming close to losing that game to Colorado, but they almost did because Calzada was that bad. Now, give him credit. He made one drive at the end of that game, and found a way to win. So you got to give him that. But man, like he, the, the fact that he was as bad as he was is what put them in that position in the first place. Now that was his first like real, true, legitimate, meaningful game action. That's a tough spot to be put in on the road. But he looked bad there and it didn't get much better. For the year, he was 56% completion percentage, 6.7 yards per attempt, 17 touchdowns to nine interceptions, a 57 total QBR, which was good for 72nd nationally. Averaged 198 yards passing a game. So throughout the totality of the season, very, very, I wouldn't even say average. I would say subpar. Now against Alabama, we know they won that game. He was mystifyingly good in that game. 21 and 31, 285, 67% completion percentage, three touchdowns, one interception. Throughout like the first two and a half quarters, he didn't have an, actually they back. Throughout the, almost the first half, he didn't have an incompletion that game. He just played inexplicably good in that game, but that was clearly the exception. That was not the rule. In fact, outside of that game against Alabama where he completed 67% of his passes, he did not complete over 60% of his passes in any other game except for Prairie View A&M. That's it. That's the only other game all year long that he went over 60% completion percentage. He's got a cannon. He doesn't know how to use it. He wasn't good last year, and I don't understand why just transferring to a new school, having to learn an entirely new offense with a new coaching staff with lesser skill talent around you, all of a sudden you're going to be better than you were last year. Anything could happen. It's college football. I get that. But I think it's quite a stretch to suggest that he is going to be the answer for Auburn at quarterback. He might win the job, but when I say answer, I'm talking about a guy that can actually go out there and win games for you. I just don't see it with him. He also missed the entire spring with an injury, so he didn't even get a chance to get acclimated to the system there to get those reps. So we'll see how much of a move he's able to make in fall camp. I do think he's the most physically gifted of their options, but he's behind from a knowledge standpoint, from a rep standpoint, and we'll see. He's got some ground to make up. I know a lot of Auburn fans do think he's ultimately going to be the guy, and I guess I would probably lean his way too just because of the physical upside, but even, even with the physical upside, I just don't see him being a legit QB1. And then the wild card here is a guy named Robbie Ashford, who's actually from Alabama. We recruited him a little bit, but didn't really pursue him all that heavily. He's a two-sport guy. He went to Oregon out of high school. Didn't work out for him there, so he's transferring back home. Now he's at Auburn. I don't really see him as a factor here. He probably looked the best of all their quarterbacks at their spring game. Again, Calzada did not play in that game. He looked better than Finley, but that's a very small sample size. I would hesitate to draw any sort of definitive conclusions from that. But he's in the battle. He's in the conversation. I don't think he's going to win the job, but he's got a shot. He's got a shot there. I'd put my money on either Calzada or Finley. And if I had to bet on one, I would go with Calzada. But again, to answer this burning question, does Auburn have a legitimate QB1 on its roster? I personally think the answer is no. But even though the quarterback position is the most important position on the field, we know there's more to an offense than that. So our next burning question is this. Who are the offensive playmakers that Auburn can rely on to beat good teams? Who do these potential options at quarterback actually have around them at the skill positions to work with here? You have to start with Tank Bigsby at running back. That guy is extraordinarily talented. I've said it many times on this show 
I'll say it once again. I wish that we would have taken him a couple years back. That was the whole Zach Evans saga. We took Zach Evans over Tank Bigsby. He's Evans is a more talented guy. I never thought the gap was that big, but Tank was more of a sure thing, better character, less red flags in his background. I would have taken him. We didn't. We went with Zach Evans, and we know how that worked out. But Tank Bigsby is a very good running back. He had five 100-yard rushing games last season. But here's the thing. He's been a non-factor against good teams. His splits against good teams compared to his splits against bad teams last year were pretty stark, pretty eye-opening. Against Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, and Penn State, he only averaged 3.3 yards per rush. Versus everyone else they played, he averaged 6.5 yards per rush. Now, yes, I know that any running back in the country is going to put up lesser numbers against the best teams on their schedule. It's going to be harder to put up those kind of numbers against the better defenses. That obviously makes sense. But those are very stark splits, guys. Talking about 3.3 yards per rush versus 6.5. He had a couple hundred yards games, as I mentioned, 500-yard games. But those games were against Akron, Alabama State, Ole Miss, in South Carolina. We know how bad Ole Miss is. I know Ole Miss was good last year. Their defense was terrible. South Carolina, not good. Now, one of those games is also Penn State. Penn State was a pretty good rush defense last year. That game was on the road, so give him that one. But most of those games, we put up 100 yards, those are against the worst teams on their schedule. And look, I'm not trying to suggest that Tank Bigsby is not good. I told you guys, I think the guy is awesome. I would take him on our team in a second. He's a really smooth athlete. He moves really well. He's got really good speed. I would not say elite top-end speed, but very good speed. He moves really well in a short area, and he's also deceptively powerful. The guy can actually run with some power between the tackles. I like him a lot, but the fact is he just has not been nearly as productive against the better teams on their schedule. Now, a big part of that is also the town around him. They didn't have much of a passing game because Bo Nix was terrible. Their receivers were marginal. The offensive line's been pretty bad for a couple of years now. So it's certainly not all a reflection on his skill set and his talent level. But there are just games where he doesn't really make any impact whatsoever. You, you'd watch the entire game and you turn it off at the end of the game and be like, wait, did Tank Bixby actually even play in that game? He just has too many of those types of games. He just got to become more consistent for them for Auburn to like really have a chance at all this year. And then backing him up is a guy who was a true freshman last year. He's going to be a rising sophomore, a guy named Jarquez Hunter. And Hunter had a really good freshman season. Early in the season, it looked like he might actually overtake Bigsby to be their top back. He was getting a lot of carries first couple games. He was actually getting more carries than Tank Bigsby was, but he really tailed off the last half of the season. He had 447 yards rushing in their first five games last year. He only ended up with 593 yards total the entire season, and it wasn't because he got injured. He played in every single game, but he just severely tailed off the last half of the season. He only averaged 18 yards per game rushing the last eight games of the season, so he completely disappeared from their offense. He's a little smaller than Bigsby, but he's kind of one of those bowling ball type small guys where, yeah, he's small, but he's explosive and powerful in that small package. Tough guy to bring down. I don't think he moves as well. I don't think he is as good of an athlete as Bigsby is, but he's a valuable player. and He'll certainly get his fair share of carries this year as well. So it, I, I don't want to call it a one-two punch. I guess it kind of is, but it's not a Batman-Robin situation. Tank Bigsby is the top back. Hunter is just a really good complimentary piece for them right now. 
And with those two running backs, they're going to want to lean on the run game. I know offensively that is what they're going to want to do coming into this season, especially when you factor in, as I said with the last question, I don't believe they have a true answer as a number one quarterback on that roster. Somebody will be the number one quarterback, but they don't have like a true alpha guy at that position, in my opinion. So they're going to want to lean on the run game. I think the question becomes, are they going to be able to do that? I mentioned the offensive line has not been great for a couple of years. This year, I'm curious to see what this offensive line ultimately ends up looking like. They're a very veteran group. We have a pretty good idea who's actually going to be on the line, but how well are they going to perform? They have three super seniors. You would That would lead you to believe that they should be really good on the offensive line. You have that much experience coming back along the line. Those guys are older. The trenches, you want that. Older veteran guys. They've got some size. I think Nick Brahmins at center is probably the best player on that, that offensive line. He has a chance to be an all-conference type player. I do think the run game and the offensive line specifically will be the strength of this offense. But again, will it really be good enough to beat good teams? Because there's a lot of those teams on the schedule. And that was the problem last year for Auburn. They could not beat good teams. Akron, Alabama State, Georgia State, they can beat those teams. They beat a bad LSU team. It was the first time they won in Baton Rouge this century. But LSU was no good last year. And they beat Ole Miss, who, yes, they were a good team last year. But again, I know like we as Georgia fans, we give Alabama a lot of grief saying, oh, you know, two receivers well. This is a different story for Ole Miss. Basically, every player of any sort of significance on their offense was out that game, including Matt Corral, who was the heart and soul of that entire offense. Auburn won the game at home. Give him credit there. But that's the only team I would say all year long they beat that was a good team, and that was a severely crippled good football team. But outside of that, a and Mississippi State, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Houston, they lost every single one of those games. So that's a big question. Can Auburn actually beat good teams? Do they have the kind of playmakers offensively to get that done? I do think their rushing attack will be pretty good. I think it'll be the strength of the offense. But again, I just don't know if that alone is going to be enough. I don't know if they're going to be that dominant of a rushing team to compensate for what I think are some serious deficiencies at wide receiver. They couldn't beat good teams last year, guys, and they've downgraded this year at wide receiver. You guys know I'm not big on Bo Nix. I think they've probably downgraded at quarterback this year. So how are they going to beat those good teams this year if they couldn't last year? I mean, good receiver, they lost their top two receivers from last year, Kobe Hudson and, and, and D-Rob. Those guys are gone. They've got Shedrick Jackson and Javarius Johnson coming back as probably their top two receivers this year. And those guys are nothing more than complimentary pieces. They've never been more than that in their entire careers. Could they become more than that this year? I mean, they're going to have to be for Auburn to have a chance. I just haven't seen them do it yet to this point in their careers. And it's hard to expect them to just make that happen this year. In fact, I do think their top pass catcher this year is going to be the tight end, John Samuel Shanker. He set Auburn program records for receptions and receiving yards from a tight end. Only 33 catches, only 413 yards, which is not saying much. But some way, somehow, those were both records for Auburn tight ends last year. I do wonder how much he'll be featured in this new offense, though. Mike Bubbo's always been a guy, even going back to his days at Georgia, he's been a guy that makes use of the tight end, especially in the red zone. And I'll give Bobo some credit here. He found a lot of ways to use Shanker creatively. He'd use him at, obviously, in line. He'd spread him out a little bit. He'd use him in the H-back position as, as a fullback at times. I was re-watching the Auburn-Georgia game from last year over the weekend, watching that for like the seventh time this offseason. 
And there's a play in that game. I think it was the first drive, early in the first quarter. But yeah, I'm fairly certain it was the first drive. They drove it down in the red zone, had a chance to score a touchdown. And he lined Shanker up at fullback and kind of just had him leak out into the end zone. The play was there. Knicks put way too much juice in the ball and made him kind of reach up and grab for it. And he didn't catch the ball, but he was there. So Bobo found ways to make use of him creatively last year. I do think that was one of the reasons why Shanker did put up the numbers that he did. So I'm curious, without Bobo there... Are they going to find ways to use him like that this year? Are they going to feature the tight end as much? I think the answer is probably yes, because they do just have such deficiencies at wide receiver. But Tyler Fromm, you know, brother of Jake, I think is also another promising tight end option there. It's a nice one-two punch. And we always talk about how much George is going to use 12 and 13 personnel. I would expect Auburn to use a lot of 12 personnel this year as well. But again, I go back to what I was saying. If you are the Auburn coaching staff, the the offensive brain trust or the Auburn Tigers, who are you leaning on to make the quantity and quality of plays that you're going to need in order to beat good football teams in the SEC? Who is it that you have that's really going to keep defensive coordinators up at night trying to create ways to game plan against them? Who is the guy that you have at receiver that teams are going to have to roll coverage to, that a defense wouldn't dare leave alone in single coverage, that will make you pay for rolling extra bodies into the box? Who are those guys? Who are those game plan records on your offense? I think Tank Bigsby is the closest to that, but against good teams, again, he just hasn't been good against good teams. He's going to have to change that this year for them to have a chance. And as you can tell, I just have my doubts. I have a lot of doubts about them actually having those kind of players on their offense. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, so that was the offense. Let's move to the defense here. I got a couple burning questions for the Auburn defense. And let's start here. Can the Auburn front seven be? elite. They have a lot of experience coming back along this front seven, especially on the edges. But kind of like with the the skill players offensively, do they have elite game changers up front? Because I think they're going to need to. For this Auburn team to improve on last year's six and seven overall record with the formula they're going to have to rely on offensively running the football and just kind of pounding it at you, they're going to have to be lights out on defense for that offensive formula to work. And to be lights out on defense this year, they're going to have to be lights out in the front seven because the secondary, as we'll get to, has some major losses to replace and they're just not going to score 30 points per game offensively. I just don't see how that's possibly going to happen with this offense. I think Auburn's best hope this season is to be 
the poor man's Georgia. They're not going to be us. They don't have the talent level to be us. They don't have the depth to be us. They have not been recruiting like that. But if they're going to be better than six and seven, I think they're going to have to use a similar formula to what we use. It just won't be as dynamic of a formula because they don't have those kind of players. But they're going to have to run the football, work play action off of that, play really good defense, be really strong in the front seven, stuff the run, force teams to beat them with a pass, keep them behind the chains, those kind of things. That's going to be their formula. But for that to work, you're going to have to be elite somewhere. And that somewhere needs to be the front seven. And this front seven was pretty good last year. They were 29th nationally in rush defense. They were 21st nationally in yards per carry. Allowed only allowed allowed 3.5 yards per carry. They were 23rd nationally in negative play percentage. And they were 40th nationally in explosive rushing percentage defensively. So they were pretty good up front. They were pretty good. They were not elite, but they were pretty good. The problem is... For this team, if they want to have a chance to be better than 6-7, and seven, they need those numbers to be pushing top 10, top 15, not top 25, not top 30. They're going to have to be better than that to compensate for some of the issues they're going to have offensively and also, I think, in the back end as well. But the problem is, I just don't know if they have those type of game changers in the front seven. But if they do... There are two guys to really watch for. First off, you got Derek Hall off the edge as a pass rusher. He was third in the SEC last year with nine sacks. He was a good pass rusher last year. He moves really well in a straight line. He's got good speed. He's got a good explosive first step. He's a little stiff in the hips. I don't think he moves particularly well. Like if his first move, that explosive first step, doesn't work, if he doesn't win right off the snap, he doesn't really have a ton of pass rush moves off that. He doesn't move well in a short area to really compensate for that. It's like he's got to get off the line of scrimmage, beat the, the lineman off the line. And if he does that, he's dangerous. If not, he's probably not going to win that rep. So he's the first guy that I think has elite potential. He has not been that yet in his career, but the potential is there for maybe more. And the second guy would be linebacker Owen Papo. Now, you guys know this name. He's a former five-star, former top 25 prospect nationally out of Grayson High School. Watched him a ton in high school. He's a very, very good athlete. He missed most of last year, large portions of last year with an injury. Didn't really make much, much of an impact. When you watch Papo play... The first thing that stands out to me is that he just doesn't really play that position very well. He's not especially instinctive. He does not have a great feel for inside linebacker. He really didn't play a ton of inside linebacker in high school. Now, you think he would have developed from from that point on. I mean, we're talking four years removed from high school, but he hasn't really developed all that much in terms of his feel and instincts at that position. He doesn't play downhill very well. He gets stuck on blocks. He gets stuck in traffic. He takes poor angles at times. Now, he can compensate for all that at times because he is such a great athlete. He is that. He runs well. He moves well. All those things are very true. He's gotten bigger. He's gotten a little thicker and stronger than he was coming out of high school. I thought he was a little too thin coming out of high school, but he's certainly improved in that regard. He has elite potential. He just hasn't really gotten there. In fact, I've been saying for years that Zacoby McLean has been their best inside linebacker. Everyone wanted to talk about Papo because he was this former five-star guy, which McLean was not. McLean has been a far better player. Unfortunately for Auburn, McLean is gone. He's out of the picture. So Papo is the guy at inside linebacker. At least he needs to be the guy for them inside linebacker. If there was a third guy, I might say Colby Wooden. He's another promising player in their front seven. He had eight and a half tackles for loss last year. He actually went to Archer High School, another Georgia product from Gwinnett County. Went to Archer. See, these guys just don't go to Georgia. They go elsewhere. They don't go to Georgia. But uh, he's a bigger guy. He's bigger than Derek Hall. He's about 285 pounds. Hall is about 255. Wooden is a guy who's shown potential. He has at times. He has flash. But he just hasn't been a consistently dynamic player. Maybe he can grow into that this year. But I do think that's a stretch because we haven't really seen him approach that at all in his career. 
but he does have the potential, just like Hall, to be an all-SEC type guy. My biggest question in the front seven for Auburn are the interior demons of linemen. Who are those guys on the interior? Who are those demons of tackles? Marcus Harris was solid last year as a guy that transferred in from Kansas. Was he a difference maker? No, no, in no way, shape, or form was he, but he was a solid body, a solid guy. Jason Jones is a former four-star that's transferred in from Oregon. Maybe he can fit in that role. He's going to have to because they don't really have a, a ton of options there. So he's probably going to have to play a lot for them. Jeffrey Imba, I think that's how you pronounce last name, was the number two overall JUCO recruit coming out of the JUCO ranks this year. He did end up at Auburn. He's going to play on the interior of that defensive line. So maybe he will be an answer for them. I haven't seen him play. I can't really speak on him intelligently because I just haven't seen the guy play. But I do know they expect him to factor into their decision and their, their rotation there on the defensive line. But I just have a lot of questions there. They don't have any proven experience. They don't really have anyone that's been anything close to a game changer on the interior. And even though they have some good edge players and a, and a solid inside linebacker, if you are not strong at defensive tackle in the SEC, you're going to have trouble. Teams are going to run the football and you're going to have a tough time stopping them enough to beat good teams. That's what I keep coming back to with Auburn. Do they have the kind of personnel to where they can actually beat good teams? They're going to have to if they're going to save Brian Harson's job. And I just keep coming back to my answer being, I don't think so. I just don't think that they do. And then the final question I've got here for Auburn today, can they find answers in the secondary? They are losing their top two players in the back end from last year. Roger McCreary was the third pick in the second round of the NFL draft, so a very high NFL draft pick. He was a very, very good SEC cornerback, definitely the best player in the secondary last year. He is gone. Smoke Monday seemed like he was one of those guys that was there for like 17 years, and he might have gotten ejected for targeting more than any other player in the history of college football. And I, that's not even tongue-in-cheek. I think he might actually have a case to be the guy who's gotten ejected more than any other player in the history of college football for targeting. I really believe that. It seemed like every other game he was getting thrown out. He got thrown out in the first quarter, like the first half of the first quarter of our game last year. But he was around forever, and he did give them some versatility when he actually was able to stay on the field. He gave them a physical presence there in the back end. He's gone. They're going to have a really tough time replacing him. One guy they do have that's returning that I thought was a pretty good player from last year is Donovan Kaufman. He's back at nickel. He was a freshman, so he's going to play the star for them this year unless they want to try him out at corner during fall camp. He's probably going to play nickel. I don't see why you'd move him at this point. At cornerback, they, they do like Nehemiah Pritchett. Uh, he played a good bit for them last year. He's fine. He's good-ish, I guess. Decent size, solid athlete. But when you watch him play, he just doesn't really stand out to me in any way. I just don't think he's a special player. He's a good, serviceable player. But again, I go back to the same theme. He's not the kind of player that's going to help Auburn beat the better teams on their schedule. But the bottom line is when you look at this Auburn secondary, there are just far more questions than there are answers. I think Kaufman is an answer for them at nickel. Maybe Nehemiah Pritchett at one of the corners. I mean, he's going to play one of the corners. Is he going to be, you know, a long-term answer there. I don't know. I think that remains to be seen. I know they think so, but we'll see. But outside of those two guys, if you want to give them Pritchett, there are a lot of questions everywhere else in that secondary. I just don't see how they can be even remotely as good as they were last year. And the thing was, they were not really all that good in the secondary last year. In fact, they were not good. They were 97th nationally in passing defense, gave up essentially 250 yards a game. They were 50th nationally in yards per attempt, 76th nationally in quarterback rating, 97th nationally in opponent completion percentage. Any way you cut it, they just were not good 
against the pass last year and you lose your best cornerback who was a, a second round, a high second round pick, you lose Smoke Monday who was around forever and you're going to all of a sudden be better, I think that's a stretch. I think like a lot of things with this Auburn team, there's, there's things that Auburn fans are hoping for, but I think most of those things are stretches. And when you have to hope for all those things coming this season and you don't have verifiable evidence, that's a really, really tough position to be in, especially for a head coach who's coming off a 6-7 and seven first year who almost got fired, who half the boosters, all the boosters, and maybe half the fan base wanted him gone anyway. It's going to be a really, really tough uphill battle for Brian Harson to find a way to win enough games against that schedule. I mean, we're talking about playing in the SEC West, the toughest division in all college football. You got Penn State coming. Now they're coming to Auburn. That's still a good football team. You got to beat Penn State. You got to beat LSU. I think it's going to be pretty good this year, better than most people think. You got to win at Georgia, at Ole Miss, at Mississippi State, who I think is going to be a very sneaky, tough team. You got Texas A&M, and then, oh yeah, of course, at Alabama at the end of the season. I just think there's way too many questions to expect them to win really any of those games. Maybe they can find a way to beat LSU at home, Penn State early in the year. I'm not extraordinarily high on Penn State. Maybe Auburn has a chance to be a big game for them, so maybe the crowd gets into it and and they find a way to, to put up enough points to beat Penn State, maybe. But outside of that, I mean, they're not winning at Alabama. They're not going to beat A&M at home. I don't think they're winning at Mississippi State. They're not going to win at Ole Miss. They get Arkansas at home. Arkansas is a better football team. Their culture is better. They're not going to win in Athens. Who are they beating? What good teams are they beating? I have a really, really hard time finding those teams on this schedule. I know Auburn fans don't want to hear that, but I think that's the reality of the situation that this program is in. And we are 14-3 and against Auburn over the last 17 years. We have completely flipped this series. It's almost like Georgia Tech-ish. Now, we're not blowing them out to the degree that we blow out Tech, but we have absolutely owned this series over the better part of the last two decades, and I see no reason why that should change this year. We are replacing a lot in our front seven. They are going to try to run the football a lot this year. I think that's what they're going to lean on offensively. So on the surface, you would say, well, Georgia's losing a lot on the defensive line at linebackers, so maybe Auburn can find a way to run the football on them. But that doesn't really take into account how well we've been recruiting over the last five to six years. Just because guys haven't played a lot doesn't mean they're not good. We still have Jalen Carter. We still have Zion Lowe. We still have Nolan Smith. We still have a load of four and five stars inside linebackers that, true, have not proven themselves. But you have to imagine a couple of those guys are going to step up and be big-time players for us because they're just that talented. So their run game really doesn't concern me. I think we should be able to slow them down without having to dedicate additional guys in the box, which is what we've been able to do the past couple of years. And look, for argument's sake, even if they are able to have some success running the football early in that game with, with Tank and the offensive line, and we have to roll bodies into the box to kind of take away the running game, I'm okay with that because I go back to what I was saying about their skill players. Who do they have at wide receiver and even tight end that legitimately scares you, that you are afraid to leave alone in single coverage? If we've got to roll guys in the box and we've got to leave Keatley out there in, in man coverage, if we've got to leave Nyland Green or Kamari Last or whoever it is that wins that job as our field corner, if we got to leave them out there in man coverage, I don't feel as strongly about them as I do Keatley right now. But I still feel pretty good about that because they just don't have the kind of talent out wide that scares you. 
And then offensively, I have no idea how they're going to try to stop us. I really don't. I think they're going to be weak up the middle of that defense. I think they have really good edge players, but I think they're going to be weak up the middle with inexperience in the defensive tackle position. Owen Papo, inside linebackers at his best, and he's able to kind of just run sideline to sideline and roam and freelance. Running right at him is not his strong suit. If you get blockers in his face, he's going to have a really tough time getting off those guys. So I think we've got to run the football at will against them. And they're in their secondary. I don't know how they're going to cover any of our guys. I truly do not. So at home, this is a matchup I feel really good about. It is college football, so you never know. It is a rivalry game. We've dominated it over the past two decades. It's been a long time since they won in Athens. I think 2005, I want to say, was the last time they won in Athens. It's been a minute, and I don't think that 2022 is going to be the year that changes. But all right, guys, that does it for me here today. I appreciate you guys, as always, taking time out of your day to listen to the podcast. Curtis will be back with me. To, he'll be back with me tomorrow. We'll record it tomorrow. I'll post it up either late tomorrow night, which is Thursday night, early Friday for you guys. So we'll have our preview of fall camp, looking at all the major position battles. We'll break that down for you guys. I'm excited to do that one because, man, fall camp is, I mean, it's here. It is here, guys. So we're going to have a lot of fun doing that. So make sure to check back then. But thank you for listening, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget if you haven't already, Make sure to hit those five-star ratings and reviews. That's a huge help for the podcast. Hook yourself up with some new game day gear at Alumni Hall by using the promo code GLORYUGA. No spaces to get 15% off online or in stores. Help yourself out there. But thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.